This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Alice Living, best-selling author, personal trainer, and host of Give Me Strength, where we discuss the positives of living a stronger life physically and mentally with the hope to inspire you to do the same. Welcome to Give Me Strength. My guest today is my good friend and incredible dentist, Dr. Rona Eskander. She is the only female dentist to win Best Young Dentist at the Private Dentistry Awards three years running and is also probably best known for her features on programs such as This Morning and Dragon's Den. She runs a hugely successful clinic in Chelsea where she's treated many high-profile clients and is passionate about really changing the face of the dentistry industry. Rona, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Obviously, we've known each other for a long time now. Um, but it feels so nice to be able to have you in more of a professional capacity because I know that you have just this incredible brain that spans so many different things. But today we're going to be mainly talking about oral health, cosmetic dentistry, your business, your goals, all of that sort of stuff. And it's really exciting to be able to do that with you. But I did want to start by talking about oral hygiene. Most people coming to this will probably be wanting to know a little bit about that. And we know that there's so much more in terms of um, research and knowledge about how our oral hygiene really affects our overall health and well-being. And I thought it would be great to start by hearing from you what we know in terms of the connection between those two things. First of all, thank you very much. You're actually making me blush. So I'm, <laughs> I'm so honoured and privileged that you've said all those things. So thank you. And absolutely, you know, I'm really glad that you've put a little bit of a focus on health because I think people forget that dentistry, they often think of dentists as somebody they go to when they're in pain and they need to get out of pain. And obviously, as you've known in the last kind of couple of years, you know, particularly with self- sending me some of the people in the older generation, you've totally changed the narrative around medicine and dentistry, which I think is super important. It's all about prevention. It's also about self-love and self-care because I I actually was saying that Invisalign, as you know, Alice, is a little bit like going to the gym because I say it's a massive commitment. Some days you really don't want to do it. Some days you have to force yourselves to do it. But in the end, you know, the results are worth the wait. And I think really a lot of dentistry is like that. But with regards to oral health specifically, really, really interesting advancements have been made where they have found a direct 
link between the mouth and the gut. So it's something called the oral microbiome. Now, Alice, I'm assuming you know about the gut microbiome, right? Because you've done a lot on this, yeah? So with the gut microbiome, we know that every single person has a very bespoke gut microbiome and that you can change it accordingly, which can literally impact your health overall. So now what we found is, is that the composition of the oral microbiome varies from person to person. And it's really, really, really important that if you're more prone to certain diseases, not just in the mouth, everywhere in the body, that your oral microbiome is being looked at and that we try and steer the good bacteria number in the higher direction direction than lower because it's all about the homeostasis. So that's really important. A lot of systemic diseases are actually linked to the mouth. So for example, there's a bi-directional relationship between diabetes and gum disease. So if you've got type 2 diabetes, you're more likely to have gum disease. If you've got severe gum disease, can also have an impact on your diabetes. So by directly trying to sort of control the bacteria in your mouth through gum disease treatments, etc., you'll have a direct impact on your diabetes. It's a super interesting like advancement that we're making within dentistry at the moment. So fascinating. The oral microbiome is just something I've never yes. even heard of. And that actually just makes so much sense. And I think this is a thing that we're starting to learn, isn't it? that there's so much more synergy between all these different things within our body. And also when we look at health as an overall thing, you know, when I think back to five years ago and I started out on my journey, it was go to the gym, eat a few vegetables, you're pretty, you're, you're, you're healthy, you know, be in a very small body and you're healthy. And now that we know how much more complex and nuanced it is, I think it's great to hear people like yourself who tend to be more, as you said, kind of, kind of a, you know, people tend to go just to the dentist when they've got issues that need to be sorted, rather seeing it as a frontline defense for just keeping yourself well. And I think it's so nice to, to really understand more about that. And I think off the back of that, it would be great to hear about what one can do to optimize their oral hygiene. We know that brushing our teeth is good for us, right? Like, that, you know, we go beyond the basics, but are there other things that we should be doing beyond just, you know, brushing in the morning and evening that can really help us to optimize our oral hygiene? Yes. And I think, Alice, it's so important because right now we're in a national crisis with the NHS, particularly within dentistry. So in the news almost every single month, there's something about dentistry being inaccessible. So most majority of the population in the UK are not able to access an NHS dentist. In fact, in some regions of the country, it's about a five year waiting list, which is absolutely horrendous. During lockdown, people were in such severe pain, they ended up resorting to taking out their own teeth, for example, or trying to treat cavities at home, which is really sad. However, the really important thing to note is because there's such a lack of educational awareness, lots of dental diseases are preventable. So in the same way that in your field, and I keep linking it back because I think there's just so many similarities, it is about that home care and love to begin with and looking after yourself and putting in the work. And no one's going to do that for you. You really have to get into a routine, as you say. So, for example, yes, we know that brushing twice a day is key, but most people don't brush twice a day. Surveys were done to show that people mostly brush once a day and whether that's because they're being a little bit lazy or whether they just don't know. Also, using an electric toothbrush, you can get a good electric toothbrush, but electric toothbrushes are much better than manual toothbrushes. And for example, I love the Philips Sonicare and it has devices now where you can link it to an app on your phone and it kind of tailors your own brushing needs. Also, the way that it's designed designed and built is more effective to remove plaque. The other thing is brushing 
before breakfast and not after breakfast, which is a massive thing because a lot of people like to brush after breakfast because they think I've just had food or I want to have a fresh brush. Actually, that's so much worse because what you're doing is all the foods that you've eaten create an acid attack on your body. So what happens is the pH in your mouth becomes lower. Low pH provides the optimal conditions to allow the enamel to dissolve. So essentially what I'm trying to say is, is that you're then brushing your teeth when the enamel is soft. So you're brushing your enamel away. If you brush before breakfast, what happens is, is the fluoride in the toothpaste and the brushing action will protect your teeth from the breakfast foods. I'll come back to fluoride in a minute because that's a massive point. I've got a question on that. So we'll come to it. We'll come to it. (laughs) So brushing twice a day is really, really important. And brushing before breakfast is absolutely key. The foods from the breakfast food cause acid attacks. If you're brushing your teeth afterwards, you're literally scrubbing the enamel away. So it's really, really important. If you brush before breakfast also, you should be using, well, you should be using twice a day a fluoride-based toothpaste. Now, I know fluoride has had lots of bad press recently and I can see you nodding. We're going <laughs> yeah. to come on to it because, yeah, I've got a question on that. So definitely we're going to talk about it. Yeah. And ultimately, so brushing twice a day with an electric toothbrush before breakfast and just before bed. The other really important thing to note as well is that the frequency of sugar should be released. It's not necessarily the amount, obviously the amount for other health reasons. But what I mean is, if you have an entire chocolate bar at lunchtime, it's actually better than having the chocolate bar and having like little bits throughout the day. Why? Because again, what happens is every single time you eat something sugary or acidic, the mouth pH drops. And what happens is, is that your saliva has lots of buffers and it is designed to neutralize the acid in your mouth. So the saliva goes, oh, acid pH has gone down and then it kind of fights all the acidity. And then when your mouth is a neutral pH, it means that it can provide the right conditions to allow the good bacteria to thrive and the bad bacteria not to thrive which means that you won't get decay now the problem is is that if you're constantly having the sugar your mouth has no time to recover so you have to give it a break so constantly sipping on like coca-cola is so much worse than just having that full glass if you really need to have it so frequency should definitely be considered The other thing is, is cleaning between the teeth. So floss or interdental brushes. And I'm a massive fan of a water flosser. So water flossers are sort of like an an air jet based flosser. You can put, again, mouthwash in it, etc. And then you clean underneath the gums and the teeth because it's really important to get in between the teeth where cavities tend to form. So those are some of the things that you really need to be doing. A few other hacks that people are not aware about regarding keeping your teeth healthy is actually to chew sugar-free chewing gum. So people think chewing gum is actually really bad for you, but obviously with the sugar-free one, it's called xylitol. And xylitol is one of the key ingredients that actually helps prevent tooth decay. So it's something that we recommend after a meal because it stimulates saliva flow and the xylitol is actually good for you. Another thing you can do is is actually neutralize any acidity with more alkaline-based products. So some vegetables that have alkaline, also dairy products, but I recognize that a lot of people are lactose intolerant. But what happens is, is that if you have something like cheese or milk, what it does is it then hires the pH in your mouth, and then that provides really good conditions for, you know, the good bacteria to thrive, to neutralize any acids, etc. It's so interesting. And, and there's lots of things that I don't think people really think about. I think flossing is a big one for me. Where it's one of those things, and as you likening it to your comparison that you used earlier about going to the gym, I find it like it's very easy for me to brush my teeth morning and evening. I use an electric toothbrush, but flossing's just that little bit more of an effort. 
And also knowing how to do it right is so crucial because a lot of people just sort of like, you know, don't really know what to do with it. So I think that, um, you know, in coming to you, I've obviously learned how to floss properly, but it is that thing that's just a little bit harder to do, but actually makes a big difference to your overall oral hygiene. Now, one thing that I wanted to pick you up on before we come to fluoride, which we are going to discuss, is around sugar. Um, it's yeah. obviously an important conversation when it comes to the health of our teeth. And whilst you know that I come from health from a perspective of, you know, we need to eat the things that we enjoy and have all those things in a balance. We also know that there is a connection between having a lot of sugar and, and then having poor, not oral hygiene, but having poor um, oral outcomes in terms of the, the health of the teeth. What do you tend to give as advice when it comes to consuming sugar, um, particularly in relation to sort of children um, and their teeth, which I guess is is even more important than adults. But across the board, what's your advice? But then also specifically related to children. So Alice, I don't know if you know this, but the biggest spend on the NHS with regard to general anaesthetic is actually for children to get their baby teeth out. That is literally what the government, what the NHS spend the most money on with regards to general anaesthetic. Imagine that. It's not like what people would imagine a dead like a deadly disease. This is literally decay, a reversible disease, essentially, if you catch it early enough. And as I mentioned, it's about frequency, not amount. So reduce it. I think we've got to be realistic, right? You, as you said, you know, you're an incredible health coach, you're an incredible trainer. And you know, you can't just say to somebody in an ideal world, cut sugar out because it's actually about balance and it's also about being realistic with people's lifestyles. People are not going to completely cut sugar out. Essentially you've got to imagine like if I'm sitting there lecturing them being like oh you can just eat like salad and protein all day they're not going to do it in the same way that you you wouldn't do that with your own clients so I say fine if you've got to have the sugar limit it to just meal times if you have to have it three times a day then breakfast lunch or dinner if you can have less then great try to neutralize those sugars as well also make sure not to brush immediately because the worst thing that you can do is, is have your sugar attack then brush for the reasons that I described so for me I think that that's really important as well but also to look at hidden sugars because some people think that they're being healthy and they come to me and they're like oh I'm having like zero fat yogurt you know I've been told like you, you told me to eat stuff that's going to neutralize the acid and I'm like yeah but have you looked at the sugar at the back it might be zero fat but the sugar's astronomical and sort of having those educational discussions with them but I think essentially it's really hidden sugars are the key thing because things that you might deem being healthy especially healthy replacements often if you look at the back of the packet you'll see that the amount of sugar is way worse than something that you'd have that was wholesome and nutritious and that's much better for you for your health and your teeth. So interesting so let's move on to talking about fluoride obviously it's received a lot of bad press recently and it's been really interesting to see the discourse around it and see both sides of the argument and I think the people that I've seen talking about it tend to come at it from quite a um, layman's like perspective in terms of not really knowing very much but sort of uh, kind of attaching themselves to the negative press and kind of running with it so I think that it'd be really interesting to hear from you what is fluoride why is it in our toothpaste and is it as bad for us as, as some people want to make out so this is a really interesting topic because a lot of people particularly when they're coming from the holistic fields have really become against fluoride in the last few years, particularly because they believe that it damages something called your pineal gland. Do you know about your pineal gland? Yeah. Yeah. But go so into they, it. <laughs> yeah. They go so basically they and they call it your third eye essentially. So they believe it kind of blocks something that's going on in your um in that gland that helps you with you know making decisions, etc. Now a lot of studies have shown that fluoride in the dose that we provide 
in toothpaste, which is really not a huge dose, is essential in preventing tooth decay. So many, many years ago, when people were suffering tooth decay, they introduced fluoride into the water. And they started introducing fluoride into water and lots of people then stopped developing tooth decay. So what happens is the fluoride, if it's introduced whilst the teeth are developing, it makes the enamel stronger. So it basically forms a compound called fluorapatite. And what happens is that means that it's less prone to decay and it's more resistant. Now, if you have it on a topical level when your enamel has grown, so i.e. when me and you brush our teeth, again, it can help protect the teeth, okay? But essentially, it's that when you're growing up period that it makes the enamel stronger. Now, some people and some studies have shown that fluoride in huge doses can have harm. It can be toxic, right? So if you, I don't know, go and eat like thousands of tubes of toothpaste, of course it will. But just like anything, you can find studies to show that if you consume too many bananas in one go, you know, it won't be good for you as well. So I think it's all about having that balance. And ultimately, a small amount of fluoride is key for preventing tooth decay. And I have seen some people switch to holistic alternatives. So for example, they've gone to like coconut-based toothpaste. And what happens is, is that they found that with these toothpastes that don't contain fluoride, they've actually developed tooth decay. So I, someone's gone traveling to India, for example, one of my patients, and she came back and she suddenly needed fillings. And I was like, you didn't need this before. Did you change anything? And then we had a chat and she'd gone to a non-fluoride-based toothpaste. And because of that, she developed tooth decay. Now that doesn't happen with everyone, but I've actually seen it in my clinic and there have been comparative studies to show that you know people that stop it are more prone to tooth decay. Ultimately, you have to be absolutely incredible at brushing to ensure that the fluoride does not um, cause um that, that you cannot use fluoride you really have to use a little bit of fluoride and as i said it's all about balance so that pea-sized amount that you use no more no less is absolutely perfect twice a day the other thing to note is as well of course as you know and i'm not here to kind of you know plug anything but i just wanted to point out that's why tablet-based systems like parlor are really great because we don't put too much or too little fluoride what we do is it's a tablet you chew on it but it means it's the perfect dose so that's one of the reasons why we created something about so if you're worried because some people are like what's a pea size is it really big is it really small because my pea size might be different from your pea size so sometimes it might be easier to buy a toothpaste tablet for example and actually that was literally my next question was to ask you about creating your own brand of toothpaste obviously it's a massively saturated, not saturated, but a market that's full of some big, heavy players. Um, and to come out and create your own is, is a really brave thing to do. And I wanted to know what really spurred you to make that decision to make your own toothpaste. What did you feel was really like missing in the market? And what does Parlor do that is different from like picking up your, your average Colgate at, 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 you know, your local supermarket? So Parlor is a product that I started with three other business partners. It all started because essentially we were asked all the time to represent different toothpaste brands. And, you know, I think that when we were younger and less experienced, we took what certain companies said as face value. Then we looked into it and we were like, oh my gosh, did you know that it takes 500 years for toothpaste tubes to decompose? And we were completely shocked. We then started to look at the ingredients and suddenly there was like all these, this stuff in there, like triclosan and these E numbers. And you know, again, Alice, I'm like, you know, when you look at food, I'm sure now because it's something you're doing, you're like, I don't even know what this is and what am I doing into my body? And the mouth is the most absorbent part of the body, right? So you're thinking like, I'm putting these chemicals in and my body is absorbing them so quickly into my, 
you know, into, into my entire system, what's going on? And then we found out as well that a lot of toothpaste contain microplastics. And when I looked into it, I was like, oh my gosh, they're finding microplastics in blood. They're finding it in breast milk. I was like, I really don't want toothpaste to contribute to this. So I think it was really from a sort of sustainable, ethical type standpoint that I was like, I can't just do this. I can't give my patients advice and tell them to use something that I don't believe I would use or I don't think would be good for my body. Anyway, so we came together, the three of us, and we just looked at different products, mainly in a kind of like sustainable arena. And we knew that a few people had formulated and tried toothpaste tablets that had been around for many years. But we wanted to create our unique bespoke formula. So what we did was is that we created a tablet that had the perfect ingredients to ensure that you don't have gum disease, decay, etc. But also not too much fluoride, as I said, so not too much, not too little. And on top of that, it had additional ingredients that were good for you. So we originally created Parla Original and then we created Parla Pro. And Parla Pro, actually, we put something called hydroxyapatite. So hydroxyapatite forms the building blocks of enamel. It strengthens your enamel. It causes incredible high gloss shine to the teeth. And it's just overall really good for you. So we put that in and we're the only toothpaste tablet in the world that created that. And we also put in vitamin B12 and vitamin E because what we found is, is that as more and more people are making conscientious decisions, a lot of people are actually vitamin B12 deficient. So enabling that in your toothpaste, so you can absorb the vitamins into your gums whilst you're brushing your teeth, takes out that stress as well of being like, oh my God, I have to take this supplement. And as we know, like vitamin E supports a healthy immune system, etc. So, you know, we created something really unique. And I think that's how we started. Uh, as you know, because you've been there through my journey, we were on Dragon's Den as well, which was really life changing. But I'm really hoping that we can kind of be like the next next oral care for the next generations, essentially. Which you absolutely are paving the way to be. And it's like such a brilliant product. And I, yeah, I'm so proud of you because it's amazing what you've achieved. Um, and I think that moving on from that, I obviously came to see you in a cosmetic dentistry capacity and then have stayed for all the other good stuff as well. <laughs> but oh, um, but you literally, well. yeah, you literally changed my life with my teeth. Like it's, it, it made such a big difference to my confidence when I think about, and it's such a small thing as well. I didn't really have much bonding done, but it made such a difference to how I felt. And I really wanted to understand what took you down the route of cosmetic dentistry first, because you seem to be like the leader in your field when it comes to that. And then why is cosmetic dentistry just becoming so much more popular? You know, more and more people are having bonding or veneers or whatever it is. I want to know why it's becoming more popular as well. First of all, it was you were such an easy canvas. Do you know what I mean? Like, Alice, you already had great teeth. And I think that for me, it's, for me, what was incredible, as I said to you, is that you sent people... Uh, you know, whether it was friends or family that really didn't trust dentists. And I think that was because of the old school dentistry, which links back again to the cosmetic. Particularly in the UK, cosmetic dentistry wasn't really viewed as something that was done. In fact, people turned their nose up to it, particularly in the UK. In America, it's always been a thing, right? You go to Hollywood, you go to New York, you go, etc. You have to have a good smile. The Brits were very much like, we're born like this, we're not going to do anything about it. And we see that still, you know, the older generation is still really shocked when I can give them options because they're like, I'm too old. And I'm like, no, 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 we can do this. So, 
It's really great. But for me, cosmetic dentistry was about changing people's lives. As I was navigating my way through the world, you know, as a young dentist, I didn't know what I wanted to specialize in. And I just didn't know what would interest me. I tried loads of different courses. I typically kind of left university as a junior dentist, suffered all the perils that, you know, the junior doctors are going through now, did all my hospital shifts, felt really dissatisfied with the system. And when I did courses, I recognized that cosmetic dentistry was a part of dentistry that could really change people's lives. It was all about that confidence from within. And for me, I think that it's different in a way to plastic surgery, dare I say, and I'm probably being a little bit controversial. And the reason why I say that is because sometimes people think plastic surgery, which I, by the way, have not a problem with, it's like fundamentally changing the way you look and make People assume that it's something to do with vanity. But for some reason, with teeth, people don't really see it as that. But in a way, you know, cosmetic dentistry is enhancing or changing the way the teeth are. But I think that more often than not, there's often things that are going wrong with the teeth and the gums, and then the cosmetic comes as secondary. So if someone comes with severely crooked teeth, for example, I'm like, right. Just to interrupt, but I'm I'm so happy for you to talk about my mom's case. She would love you to. Because when you said about sending friends and family, like just for those who are listening... My mum has had a huge fear of the dentist for a, a big part of her life and her teeth got to a point where they were really in a bad way and she was having just such poor experiences with her local dentist and I was like look mum it's enough I was like you have yeah. to go and see Rona so it'd be good to hear like even just from that perspective because she's exactly that candidate she came with ish- yeah. lots of issues with her teeth and now is staying to do like the whole process of going from dealing with the kind of important stuff first but then moving on to the cosmetic we'll be back after this This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. Welcome back to Give Me Strength. Yeah, 100%. So Alice's mum is amazing. I love her. (laughs) I literally love her. But like you said, you know, she had a couple of cosmetic issues, but there were health issues as well. And as I said, they're often intertwined. So for example, if you have crowded teeth, you are probably going to have issues with your gums. Why? Because you can't keep them clean. So if you're not forever brushing and flossing, it is likely that you're going to get plaque trap. Plaque traps lead to gum disease or decay. So by straightening your teeth with something like Invisalign, you're not just straightening your teeth. Okay, fine. They're going to look nice and straight. You're also going to impact your health as well. And as I said to you again, it's like what you do, right? Yeah, of course, you might try and build a certain physique, but you're also helping bones and you know future arthritis and you know all those different things so they kind of come hand in hand and I think really it's the it's the psychological confidence as well because people get so embarrassed you know and I've had so many people just cover their mouths when they speak or they felt like you know their breath isn't fresh enough or they feel that people are judging them or they can't do job interviews Mm. and for me that was the thing that I wanted to do I wanted to provide dentistry 
that could really change people's lives. And I know that sounds dramatic, but that's the whole purpose of what I do every single day. So that's kind of how I went down that route. And it's like, it's just something I'm super passionate about. And I'm really lucky because in my clinic, I built a team around me that if anyone needs other treatment, as you know, your mum, you know, if they need root canals or gum treatment, etc., they can go to the right professionals within the clinic. And then I can focus also on the cosmetic, which is what I'm passionate about. And I'd love to you to talk to me a little bit about what we actually mean by composite bonding. Uh, I think some people know what it is, but others, I think, kind of confuse it for having to file down the teeth and then add veneers on, which is obviously a completely different offering. So maybe if you could just explain the difference between what composite bonding is and then how it differs from veneers. Composite bonding became really popular, I think, in the last sort of three to four years. It's always been my passion to talk about things in, I would say, layman's terms, because composite bonding has been around for like 20 years. It's just that people didn't talk about it in a way that was easy to digest. And so essentially, it's a white filling material, a resin, almost like acrylic that you add to a nail, but obviously suitable for teeth. And you add it to the teeth to either lengthen the teeth or to increase the volume of the teeth. You don't drill down the teeth to place it, but because of that, your teeth need to be fairly straight to begin with. As a white filling, it's prone to chipping and staining, so it does need maintenance. You need to see your dentist or hygienist every six months for a polish and also a clean. Also, your diet needs to be fairly good, so you need to have things like a fairly sort of white diet, not too sugary, not too many fizzy drinks, not very stainful diet, because it can just pick up stain and it needs to be changed every kind of two to seven years. It's considered to be less invasive than veneers, but again, veneers are really different in different dentists hands I do a lot of veneers and veneers are when you cut down the teeth in some cases you do very minimal prep which is what I do where we only cut down a tiny bit of the surface of the tooth or you do sort of more aggressive preparations for example if you need to cut mask very discolored teeth they're not what we see on TikTok now where people are going abroad and getting their teeth cut down to like pinpoints. So dentistry, if you go to the right dentist, has become very minimally invasive. Essentially, though, like Alice, you were a perfect case for composite bonding. Like I would never do veneers on you. Why? The color of your teeth was good. You don't have any problems. You know, your teeth were fairly straight to begin with. So adding the bonding is just to enhance. If you have, if you see composite bonding that's very thick, like a lot of people have said to me, I don't want that look. It's really fake. I love the way that you do your work. That composite bonding that's really, really thick is essentially when dentists are trying to make them look like veneers. So they look called composite veneers. And that's when you can get that sort of really opaque finish. I think each to their own, but it's not, not the look that I was going for. And I think that's why I came to you because you do such a natural um, look when it comes to composite bonding. One thing that I did want to discuss and, and just to touch on a point that you referenced there, and I think it's become a lot more prevalent in recent years, but a lot of people going to places like Turkey to get their teeth done. And I even got a DM this week <laughs> offering me free dental work in Turkey. And I was like, guys, I've got perfect teeth. And what's going on? But um, the worry here is that obviously there are some horror stories and there are some issues in terms of legitimacy of these clinics. And I know that it's something that you've spoken on quite a bit. And I wondered if you could talk to me about why there's an issue with kind of people going over there, the difference between, I guess, despite it being from a cost perspective, the reason why people go there, the reason why people go there over going to UK dentists and kind of what your worry is around the whole issue. So I think that transparency really needs to be, you know, communicated here because 
as I said, we're going through a national crisis. NHS dentistry is also at that sort of real tipping point and people are becoming desperate. So one of the reasons is, is they don't have access to a UK dentist and they can't afford to see a UK dentist. So they may travel abroad. Okay, that's one of the reasons. Another reason, which is the bigger reason, is that people are going for cosmetic reasons and not understanding the implications. And again, the cosmetic reasons are because they're comparing like for like, which I'll go into. Now, as you said, you have perfect teeth. You've seen my teeth. I have perfect teeth, right? I did this little experiment. And what I did was is that I actually sent photos of my teeth to a clinic abroad. And I asked them about my teeth and what I needed done. And they immediately said that I needed 24 crowns. Now, for anyone that doesn't understand, crowns are where you cut down 70% of the tooth surface. It is non-reversible and it is often reserved for cases where teeth have broken down teeth, root canal treated teeth, decayed teeth. You do not treat teeth for cosmetic reasons by providing crowns. So for example, if Alice came to me and I said, you need 24 crowns, I'd probably lose my license in the UK because it's completely unjustifiable. Like you just don't do it just to what change the color of the teeth so a lot of young people who are like 21 to 25 they're going to these places abroad having their teeth cut down to pinpoints and not understanding the implications of it now what they do is they compare like for like so they say well 24 crowns in the uk is three times the price of 24 crowns in turkey of course it is, but I wouldn't do 24 crowns on anybody, not even your mum. Do you know what I mean? Like, that would be reserved for a case where somebody had severely broken teeth and I had to do it to build up their bite or something like that. But, you know, when a young person comes to me, I'll often say Invisalign whitening and bonding. And actually, the prices are pretty much the same as 24 crowns abroad. But people aren't understanding that because they're actually not getting the information. So what I would say is if you're considering getting your teeth done abroad, Get a consultation in your home country just to understand your options because it's very unlikely they're going to give you an option that is going to be six months to a year. They want you to come for the treatment and then fly back home. But also when things go wrong, are you going to just fly back? And I'm sure you saw that case that I posted a few months ago where we found a woman who almost died. She went for treatment abroad. It all went wrong. She came back to Ireland. She came to my clinic for a consultation. She went back to Ireland. She developed a life-threatening infection. It took us a year to fix that case. And, you know, five specialists, you know, thousands of pounds, and she couldn't fly back. And the worst part was, is that, you know, when she had the treatment done and knew it had gone wrong, she was crying in her hotel room. No one spoke the language. She was all alone. They kicked her out of the hotel because they often provide hotels. Now, I'm not saying all dentists abroad are bad, but what I am trying to say is you just don't know. And ultimately, if you are being seen by someone in your home country, they've got a governing body to, you know, to answer to they have you that they can access and you know they can be seen if they need to be seen it is scary and i guess you're right you can't paint them all with the same brush but at the same time there have been a lot of horror stories and and again going to your point you just don't know and i guess in this country you have that security blanket of knowing that there is a registered body and that they're thoroughly checked um just to go into a little bit more of a um a subject change one of the things that you've spoken about recently, which I found really interesting and really powerful to hear you talk about, is the issue with um, suicide within dentistry. 
I know that it's received some press recently, but maybe not as much as it should have. Can you talk to me about why you think that dentistry might have such high rates of people taking their own life and what we know about, you know, why this might be happening? So it's interesting because I posted about it a few days ago and even a dentist commented saying, I keep seeing this statistic everywhere, but I don't know where it's found from. And I read the British Dental Association articles all the time and they've got really sort of credible sources and they do a lot of they do a lot of um, questionnaires and surveys etc to find out where dentists are at and actually although it's not given enough press you know suicide happens so often I think that dentistry has the highest suicide rate well, one of the highest suicide rates of any profession because it's an extremely stressful job Now, if you think about it, let me break it down for you. You're going to attract a bunch of people that put a lot of pressure on themselves. They're high achievers, number one. Number two, you are also working in a really confined space. So unlike other parts of medicine, and I appreciate some of the organs are tiny, you're working on this tiny little mouth every single day, right? You also have people telling you that they hate you so much. So what they found is when they did the surveys is that dentists were feeling sort of really deflated because people are like oh my gosh I just hate coming to dentists no offense I hate the dentist you're here to inflict pain and then there, there's that element of discomfort you are inflicting a degree of pain to the patient right because you know it's very sensitive in the mouth you've got to get in there etc you're also working in a confined space just with you and your nurse every single day often without any sunlight and it's those small things that really accumulate but also most importantly which is why I'm here to break the stigma they can't talk about it. They view themselves as healers in society, just like doctors. So they feel if they show that vulnerability and that pain, they will be judged. And they feel they have no one to go to because they have to stand strong within kind of like the societal hierarchy of being healers and helpers. It's just so awful. And I think you raised some really, really good points there. And I guess just on a wider um, kind of conversation, talking about these things is so crucial to mitigate you know those awful situations but i think that we need to facilitate an environment in which people feel comfortable enough to do that and thus far maybe particularly in those industries where it's full of high achievers and to show vulnerabilities to show in their eyes a weakness it's really difficult to put your hand up and say i'm really struggling um and i think that you're doing so much work in that space to really help people no you know what though i think that on that note sorry the passion comes out because I still think we, as a whole, as society as a whole, we have so much more to do with regards to mental health. Although we've made huge advancements, I do still think that there's that stigma. I think that people, there is still very much this attitude of it's selfish or, you know, when people are really suffering. And I think the narrative, particularly, you know, with suicide, you remember that amazing dancer that recently committed suicide, um, you know, from the Ellen DeGeneres show and he had a family and a wife and, I think what was really sad was is that people said it was such a selfish thing for him to do. And I think that that narrative is just not helpful because for people that are suffering to that degree, you know, if it is, and I've used this analogy a few times, if your mind is a burning building and suicide is the option to jump out, you know, sometimes, you know, you don't know what to do. And I think we really need to sort of empathize rather than stigmatize people. Completely. God, I couldn't have said it best myself. That was such a perfect way to put it. And I think that the other thing that I would say is, you know, in in our current climate, you know, we see two sides of this argument. We see one side of people saying, you know, just talk about it, open up, we need to be more vulnerable, we need to show our weaknesses. 
But on the other side, we have this conversation of cancel culture and um, wokeness and all these things where people, you know, if people kind of show their vulnerabilities or say how they're feeling, they're somehow seen as, I'm going to put in quote unquote, a snowflake. Do you know what I mean? And it's just, it's so hard because I think, you know, in our very privileged environment in which we exist, sure, a lot of people talk about their vulnerabilities. But if you step outside of that echo chamber, I can see how it would still be really difficult to hold your hand up and say, I'm really struggling. I can I can absolutely see that. And it's, and it's I guess, how do you widen the conversation and, and make it one that's, you know, anyone can feel a part of rather than just, you know, existing in bubbles on social media. Um, but I want to end on a more positive note and I want to really talk about um, you and your success, which is just so incredible. Um, you've grown a hugely successful clinic. You've hired multiple staff members. You're expanding constantly. Uh, you're doing so many incredible things, including being on TV with ITV and Dragon's Den and all sorts of other amazing achievements. Um, how did you get to where you are? I mean, obviously, like there are loads of amazing dentists, but for you, you just stand out. You were willing and able to put your head above the parapet and say, I've got more to say and I've got more to give. What did it really take to kind of grow your brand and become such a huge hitter in an incredibly crowded and also, may I add, probably male-dominated industry? Well, thank you. Thank you so much again, Alice, because it, it's so nice to hear because sometimes I'm like, what am I doing? Am I doing enough? But <laughs> I think ultimately, it's so funny, right, because I think that sometimes self-limiting beliefs and imposter syndrome can actually push you further because you want to prove yourself to others. And I'm not saying that's a healthy mindset, but I do have to admit that I think that that was the starting point for me. When I came to the UK, my father actually came to the UK when he was 21 years old with like 30 pounds in his pocket. He put himself through medical school and he's been a massive inspiration to me my whole life. He left the UK for a bit when he was 38. And then what he did was, is that he actually, um, he came back again when he met my mum and I came back I came to the UK when I was five years old. My parents worked incredibly hard to keep us in a good school and I think that it for me it was seeing their struggle and their hard work that pushed me and made me realise that nothing in life comes easy. But there was definitely judgment. Like I was not an academic girl at school. So, you know, my parents did everything they can to give me a good education. The teachers didn't like me. I was really loud. I was really good at drama. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> and and um, they just thought that I, I would not get anywhere. And in fact, even the secondary school that I went to, it was not geared for academics. You know, it was very much a school that sort of helped people get into drama, English, etc. And I was really good at drama and English, but I just worked so, so hard. Even though I wasn't that academic, I didn't become a victim. I would have to revise six months before anyone else. I would literally get tutors to come and tutor me. And I did everything I can to get the grades because I wanted to be a dentist since I was 12 years old. And you might say, 12 how did you know my aunt was a dentist and I just loved it and I was like this is so great I love everything about it hated medicine because I just found medicine way too broad and then what I did was is that I decided to apply for dentistry even though a lot of my teachers said listen you should really consider doing English literature or drama or philosophy because you're really good at it so I did kind of half and half at A levels and then when I went on to dental school the struggle still continued it wasn't just finishing at school why because I didn't get on with the dentist so with regards to the dentist I just didn't fit in you know they were very science they were very sort of you know the cookie cutter type 
dental academic student that you would imagine. I just didn't fit the bill at all. But again, I worked really hard. And then when I left dental school, I didn't get into my NHS VT practice, which is kind of when you do your NHS training. And what I'm trying to say is as well is that it doesn't stop. You're gonna become you're gonna kind of overcome obstacle overcome all these obstacles all the time. But it's about pushing yourself constantly and recognizing that you know you're dealt with certain cards in your life. And if you don't like it, you are the only person responsible for changing your narrative. You are the only one that can change what you don't like. And it's so important that you pivot because things aren't going to fall out out of the sky. And I think surrounding myself with certain people that have made it has always pushed me and inspired me to push my career further. So for example, once I got all out once I got through all of that and created a practice that I wanted to be in I had to build that practice I didn't get a job I literally landed in an NHS practice after CV dropping my boss at the time was trying to sell his practice in Chelsea because it wasn't working I offered to go and work there even though I had no patients so didn't make any money didn't have any clients and I grew that practice from seeing one patient a month to being what it is now which is what you see that took me five years of blood sweat and tears and I did it myself you know it was about building a platform on social media it was about you know finding patients somehow and pivoting essentially like being like this is the way people traditionally do things but I'm going to do it differently but I think the most important thing is really is to allow change and that means being in a state of discomfort sometimes and I know that you and I talk about this often discomfort's hard pain is hard but sometimes you have to sit with that and you have to be like, okay I don't like feeling this but I have to feel it and I have to understand what I need to do and how I can change and I think that's where I am with my business now you say I see you constantly doing things but I think it's because I'm always sort of chasing that change because I love to change and I love to provide more things for my patients my team etc so that's that's really what's pushed me you definitely don't stand still and I think that's a rule for life you know I was sat last night with my 91 year old grandfather who's been like incredibly successful and again came over here as an immigrant um during the war and I think that I look to him and think he's never stood still still at 91 he's constantly like moving forwards doing things he's volunteers he's this he's that you know he doesn't stand still and he doesn't just sit back and go okay that's my lot and I think that that's such a an amazing lesson for life and I look to you and other people in my sphere of influence and I think you know I feel so lucky that I'm surrounded by particularly women that are real go-getters that are real kind of I'm not going to sit still I'm not going to just take you know my lot and that's it I'm I'm wanting to always achieve and and do more and and be more and I think you know that drives me and I'm sure it drives you and I think it's such a it's such a positive um impact that both social media and just generally meeting amazing people can have on you so um I think it's amazing what it's done for you and and um in return you know you do the same for me so yeah I think it's incredible and on that note we shall end our incredible chat. This has been so diverse and varied. We've gone from oral hygiene to finishing talking about inspiring women, but it's been such an amazing chat and I knew it would be with you because I just adore you. And um, I'm just so grateful for your time. I know that you're on holiday as well. So you've given up an hour just <laughs> getting out the sun to speak to me. So thank you so much. And um, I really appreciate it. We'll put any links to the clinic, to your social profile and everything in the show notes. So if people want to check those out, please do head there. Um, and thank you so so much Rona lots of love Alice thank you for having me (laughs) 
Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. I would love it if you could take some time to rate, review and follow the podcast as it really helps others to find it. We have a new episode dropping each week so this will also ensure you don't miss out. See you next time. Insanity Group.